The meeting will come to order. Welcome to the April 19, uh, 2023 meeting of the Budget and Appropriation Committee. I'm Supervisor Connie Chan, Chair of the Committee. I am joined by Supervisor Supervisors Hillary Ronan and Shaman Walton. Our clerk is Brent Halipa, and I would like to thank Helena Mendoza uh, from SFGov TV for broadcasting this meeting. Uh, hopefully, we shortly will be joined by Vice Chair Rafael Mendelman and Supervisor Asha Safayi. Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcement? Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, with our return to the chamber, just a friendly reminder for those in attendance to please make sure to silence all cell phones and electronic devices. Also, kindly refrain from any flash photography. Uh, the Board of Supervisors and its committees are now convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone. The Board recognizes that equitable public access is essential and will be taking public comment as follows. First public comment will be taken on the item on this agenda. Those attending in person will be allowed to speak first, and we will take those awaiting on the telephone line. For those watching remotely and streaming through uh, sfgovtv.org, the public comment call-in number is streaming across the screen. That is 415-655-0001 with a meeting ID of 24840353728, then press pound twice. How, when connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you'll be muted and in listening mode only. Uh, when your item... Uh, when the item comes up and public comment is called, those joining us in person should line up to speak and those on telephone should dial star three uh, to also be added to the telephone line. Uh, uh, if you're on your telephone, please remember to turn down uh, your TV and all listening devices you may be using. Each speaker will be allowed up to two minutes to speak unless otherwise stated. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. Email them to myself, the Budget and Appropriations Committee Clerk. <clears throat> Pardon at b-r-e-n-t dot j-a-l-i-p-a at s-f-g-o-v dot o-r-g. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and also included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office at City Hall. That's 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, Room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. Hi, and finally, Madam Chair, uh, the item acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors' agenda of April 25th, unless otherwise stated. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. I just want to acknowledge that Board President Peskin has uh, joined us in the chamber uh, for this item. Um, and Mr. Clerk, please call item number one. Oh, and uh, before I do that, uh, Madam Chair, with the appearance of the President, we are now convened uh, as a special meeting for the Board of Supervisors. Uh, and... Item number one uh, is uh, the resolution adopting the city's 10-year capital plan expenditure plan, uh, sorry, 10-year capital expenditure plan for fiscal years 2024 to 2033 pursuant to the administrative code. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment uh, should call 415-655-0001 with the meeting ID of 24840353728 and press pound twice. And if you already haven't done so, uh, please dial star three to line up to speak. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand and uh, please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and then you may begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clark. And today we have uh, Brian Strong, Chief of Resi Chief Resilience Office Sir and Director of Office of Resilience and Capital Planning here, and the floor is yours. Thank you very much. Uh, Supervisor Chan and community, uh, committee members, Brian Strong, uh, Office of the City Administrator, and the Office of Resilience and Capital Planning within that program. 
Uh, thank you very much for having us here. Um, every two years we come to present the city's updated 10-year capital plan. Um, and every two years is always a significant amount of change. And, and there's no, that, that, uh, that also applies to this year. A lot of things have been changing in San Francisco. Um, and that is reflected in this updated capital plan that's before you. Uh, I did want to mention that I know there, is, there are questions about the general obligation bond program, and I will be covering that and then going through the entire plan, and we'll come back to it uh, for questions. But I did want to just let you know we have folks in the Department of Public Health here, including Greg Wagner and Kathy Jung, as well as people, as well as people from Housing and HSH, Housing Shelter Homelessness Program, including Gigi Whitley, who's on the line, and Emily Cohen, who is here uh, in the chamber. And then we also have Joe Chin, who is one of the project managers from Public Works, who can share information on cost implications. So with that, I will just jump into the presentation and, and thank all of those individuals for being here. Um, so, uh, some of you have seen this before, um, but the 10-year capital plan is something that we started doing really back in 2005, 2006 for the first time. We're one of the few cities in, in the country that has a, has a constrained capital plan where we identify what we're funding as well as what we are not funding. Um, that plan is produced every two years, and it goes through a capital planning committee process. The capital planning committee is a 11 member, bo uh, 11 member um, body that is chaired by the city administrator, but also includes the board president, uh, as well as the mayor's budget director, the capital, the director of planning, the controller, uh, and then the individuals that represent what we call chapter six departments or departments that are able to do construction or build things. So public works, public utilities, uh, SFPUC, MTA, um, Port of San Francisco, uh, Public Works, and Rec Park. And then I will just mention there are really three components when we talk about our capital plan, um, especially the impact of general fund departments, and that's really our geobond program that we're going to cover, our debt program, often referred to as certificates of participation, but also revenue bonds, which enterprise departments tend to use more than general fund departments, and then our pay-as-you-go program. Uh, quickly, just want to mention here, over the last years have been a lot of accomplishments. We've been significant amounts of capital investment going on in San Francisco, and I think you can see that if you look at our buildings, if you look at our parks, um, if you look at our, our streets and those things across the city. So uh, 2,600 new affordable housing units since 2020. Um, Completion, you know, we had a major completion of the 105-unit Maceo May project for formerly homeless and low-income veterans. Uh, we updated the housing element, which actually also had an impact on our capital plan because it has very, um, it has very far-reaching goals around housing, uh, around the housing required, around the new housing that the, that they are looking for the city to create. Um, but we also have a new sort of center in that housing element on racial and social equity. Um, we did a lot of work in Mission Bay in some of those newer development areas. Um, we've done a lot of work with connecting people uh, via broadband internet access to sort of address the digital divide, especially in some of our more disadvantaged communities and in our Hope SF projects. Uh, we completed the Animal Care and Control Project, um, which is, again, taking a historic 
unreinforced masonry building that was a potential collapse uh, hazard and converting it into a very like modern and usable animal shelter. Uh, in our public health area, again, we did the Marti Maria X. Martinez Health Resource Center was completed, Southeast Health Center was completed, and then seismic retrofits at Castro Mission um, and also at Maxine. At Maxine. So uh, significant work in the last couple of years just in our public health area. Um, supportive housing is another area. We acquired six buildings for that. We finished Fire Station 35, which is the first, and I may I believe the only floating fire station in the country, one of the few in the world, so it is ready for sea level rise and climate change. Uh, we completed ambulance deployment facility and we moved staff into a building that we had just recently completed to for the forensic sciences um, division, which means we got people out of Hunter's Point and some of those other areas. Um, maintained a pavement condition index score of 74. We've been sort of going bef between 74 and 75. Constructed 50, you know, 54,000 trees, curb ramps, um, constant maintenance of sidewalks that's required as well. Um, three neighborhood parks that are focused in equity zones, as well as two new parks at Francisco Reservoir and Shoreview, um, and are starting the process for the new park at 11th and Natoma. Uh, completed the Van S BRT project and also the um, the central subway uh, that is connecting Chinatown. So while we've completed all those things, a lot of it has been funded through geo bonds. As I mentioned, this chart shows what has happened. The the vertical um, light blue bar there shows when the capital plan was passed. Prior to the capital plan, we were approximately 50% of the bonds being put forward were passing. Um, bonds that pass on, on here, I should say, are blue. The ones that did not pass are in this yellow-orange color. Uh, and you can see we've had quite a good run of passing very large, significant geo bonds. And we think part of that is attributed to the fact that we have a capital plan that builds confidence that also gets support so that we're having the discussions at the Board of Supervisors around what we should go forward with as opposed to having them um, right before they are going on the ballot. Uh, and I mentioned we've done $6 billion since 2008 and $2 billion alone just in the last three years. Again, that, that's, that's at record levels, um, not just for San Francisco, but really for any city, and, and especially if you would think about it on a per capita basis. Um, I will mention that you can see the, the blip uh, on the far end, and that was the transportation bond. So we know that geo bonds are, that we have been successful, but we do not want to rest on our laurels in any way, shape, or form. Um, and we barely lost, um, by less than two percentage points, uh, the geo bond for the transportation agency um, last year. So the capital plan going forward, it, it is a $41 billion plan. That's the level of investment we are looking to make over the next 10 years. $5.7 billion is under general fund departments, and, and you can see where those are being funded. Public safety, health and human services, infrastructure and streets, those are in recreation park, <coughs> recreation, culture, and education, so our cultural centers and libraries. Um, those are typically, again, found as those are typical general fund uh, supported programs. Enterprise departments really include our Public Utilities Commission, which is doing a lot of work, but also includes um, some of the work being done by, you know, for our streets. And, and then we have our airports, we have development, 
all of those things are captured sort of by those enterprise agencies. And then we have external agencies, which are really things that are not controlled by the city, but we still want to track that are vitally important. That includes city college, school district, uh, BART, and some of those other entities that are doing significant capital work in the city. So the sources of funds here, just to let you know, general fund departments, again, just want to reemphasize geo bonds are a very significant part of the program. It's a third of the funding that we have to do capital work. Um, the general fund is the other big portion of it, and that is really mostly focused in our pay-as-you-go program. Um, but we also do have some certificates of participation, which is covered by that sort of other debt area, that blue that blue uh, piece of the pie. And then there's federal and state dollars that do come into play, but not to this level that they do with the enterprise departments where you can see the lion's share of the funding is really coming from federal and state dollars. Just to remind you, the capital plan, when we get these, when we are considering projects, we are thinking about them in terms of, uh, of how we prioritize and those really are addressing you know, mandates, then looking yeah. at life safety. A lot of the bonds were, and programs we're talking about are really to address critical life safety issues. Um, we're also looking at enhancing real resilience, um, making sure that we're thinking equitably across the city. Uh, and then we really get into in, you know, ensuring asset preservation and sustainability, so making sure we take care of what we own, being good stewards of our property. And then it really steps into programmatic and plan needs. This could be anything from um, the recent climate action plan to the housing element or, or, or other, other long-range plans that the city is working on that has come through the board and the mayor. And then, of course, there's also economic development. We also recognize, I think, as a capital planning committee that we cannot, we could fund all of, everything could go to the first two buckets there, the first two principles, but that we need to be conscious of making sure we're, we're, you know, we're taking care of other things as well. Uh, just to highlight a little bit more deeply on some of the, the bigger issues, and I mentioned the racial and social equity, and that, that's an area that we're focusing on, and you can see some of the projects that we've been funding um, in the past and that we plan to fund going forward. And these, these are either projects or these are our principles that we're moving forward that are, that are being put forward, like environmental justice framework, which is gonna guide future investments. Affordable housing, of course, has been very significant. Homelessness. Um, addressing, you know, adding shelter space and those types of things, mental health capacity as well. Um, if you look to the middle column, it's talking about climate resilience. We know that we're seeing more and more um, a larger and larger impact on our infrastructure as a result of climate change. Uh, and so we are thinking in terms of mitigation, how can we reduce the impacts of climate change, get people out of cars, convert um, gas, Go, go, you know, conversions from gas to electric, those types of things, uh, as well as how we're going to manage or adapt to climate change that's already happening. So we already know to some extent we're seeing much larger, more extreme rainstorms or extreme precipitation. We know we're seeing sea level rise. It's already happening. So we also need to be inve making investments that are going to allow us to adapt to those changes. Uh, and then finally, earthquake safety is something that's been a central feature of our capital plan since the beginning, we know we are an earthquake country. We just celebrated the 06 earthquake um, the other day. I don't know how many people got up at 5.30 a.m. Um, I know I did have one staff person who was out there. Uh, and, and again, it's important to remember that we need to be vigilant about taking care of our buildings and our infrastructure. 
um, because we, we do know earthquakes are going to happen. Uh, it's, it's a matter of, it's, it's not a matter of, of if, it's a matter of when. So with that, I'm just going to go into the GeoBond program now and then step through the debt program and the PAYSIGO program. Uh, so current policy for the GeoBond program is that we are paying off debt as, as we incur it. So in other words, we do not issue new bonds until we retire old ones. That's been an important principle of the capital plan really since we started doing it. Um, and it, it means that we are relying, it means that we are, that we are essentially relying on the, the property, you know, change in property values to really impact our capacity. Um, this commitment does help us quite a bit in that tax rates are not going to go up as a result of our program. We think it's very fiscally smart and fiscally prudent. It has been something that credit agencies and other folks have noted. Um, and often when people are on the fence around whether to support a bond or something else, they look to this policy and, and have said, hey, I'm, I'm willing and able to continue to pay what I'm paying now uh, and have been supportive of it. Uh, we also know that as a result of the recent economic situation, that value of, you know, private property, public property, all of the values of our property are going down, and as a result, our capacity is shrinking. So we're not having as much capacity as we've had in, a lot, um, in previous times. Um, and in addition, as I started with in our presentation, we've been very successful in passing geobonds. So that also um, reduces our capacity to, to do large bonds going forward. Uh, this past year, there was a measure to, um, to eliminate odd-year elections. That means that we have less, fewer opportunities to go to the voters, which means we need to be, I think, smarter and more articulate um, about when we do go to them. Uh, and, then I, and then we do have a lot of new needs that are coming into the capital plan. Many of you may recall when we first did the capital plan, housing, anything that was not private, publicly owned was not included in the plan. We have added housing to the capital plan, and I think that's been important. It's certainly a, an important value for resilience and for the city, uh, but it's also um, eaten, has also used a lot of our capacity. So we've done over 1.1 billion in affordable housing bonds in the past five or six since 2015 alone. Um, and, but we do know we're gonna continue to have climate change needs and, um, and, uh, and issues going forward, and we do have a bond to consider some of that in 2028. Speaking of the bonds, this is a list that shows what we're proposing in the 10-year capital plan, $2 billion of overall capacity. Um, the first bond would be in March of 2024, where, which would be for the Department of Public Health primarily, and for the shelter, uh, for retrofitting the shelter at 1001 Polk Street, be retrofitting that shelter so it can become a family shelter. Um, that shelter along with Chinatown um, and some of their other buildings are seismic hazard rating fours, which means there, are, there is a collapse potential in an earthquake. Um, it also means that even if, and that would be probably in a larger earthquake, but even in a medium sized earthquake, it's very likely that those buildings, along with all of them on this list, would be, red, would be yellow or red tagged, which means they would not be usable after the earthquake. So when we think about clinics, or critical buildings at Zuckerberg, uh, San Francisco General Hospital, or Laguna Honda Hospital, or shelters, those are all, those are all buildings that we want to have functional after an earthquake um, to serve the populations that will certainly be impacted. 
Uh, we have an affordable housing bond recommended in 2024. This is really to continue to contribute to the uh, affordable housing pipeline. That work has, again, been going on, and there is certainly a large number of projects and, and things to do in that area. Uh, we also have a project here around adding, uh, around addressing 260 Golden Gate uh, through a partnership is what we're looking at, where we would be doing affordable housing in part of the building, and we would have the uh, adult shelter in another part of the building. And we think that type of partnership would not only would help us uh, use our dollars more wisely. Uh, we have the, again, we do not have another election then until 2026, and that's when we are proposing to come back with the transportation bond, um, $300 million really mostly to address critical facilities and yards in the system for seismic purposes and also for, for the new fleet, uh, the electric fleet and some of those things that are coming on board. Uh, the other bonds I won't go into detail on, um, you know, waterfront safety, then coming back to our earthquake safety emergency response bond program. We had, a, we had an ESER bond, that's what those are referred to in 2020, uh, and then parks and open space, and then we'll come back to public health and transportation. The, what I will just say is that, and you can see it on this next graph here, it's really the capacity issues are in the early, we, we really are maximizing our capacity in the first five or six years of the plan. So from 2023 to 2028, there's really very little that we can add in terms of capacity um, unless, uh, unless we see some um, growth in property values or there may be some additional capacity that the controller's office is able to identify. Um, and again, I won't get into the details of this graph, just to mention the light shaded are bonds that have been issued. The darker shaded are bonds that, we've, that have passed by voters and we're committed to paying the debt service on those. And the thing is, once, once we start paying the debt service on those, we have to pay that debt service for 20 to 25 years. So it doesn't just, once we do it, we're committed for 20, 25 years that is even shown on this chart. Uh, and then you can see the colored ones are the bonds that we are planning to bring forward that I mentioned on the previous slide. Okay, with that, I'm just gonna quickly run through the other way that we're funding projects, and you can see this is a considerably smaller program, is through the issuance of certificates of participation or general fund debt. These are bonds that are paid for uh, out of sort of essentially setting aside general fund money. Um, you can see the large building at the bottom right in this picture here is 170 Otis. It is a concrete, it is a non-ductile or low-ductile concrete building, which are one of the, um, which are the next classification of buildings that the city really wants to address in terms of seismic safety. Um, so we are planning on moving HSA, Human Service Agency is planning on moving out of that building um, probably in two phases. One would be to relocate their staff closer to a lot of their clients, um, mostly in the southeast portion of the city. And then the other would be to move admin and other folks um, to a different type of office building, uh, generally in the same area, but but not so restrictive in terms of location. Um, we have critical repairs funding here and recession allowance. Again, these are certificates of participation which would be to go to address some of the unfunded programs in our pay, in our pay as you go area. So one of the unique things about the capital plan is we are able to th think ahead and set aside money for a recession or for these different types of periods. And we were thinking not that COVID was gonna hit us, but that we were, in, we were due sort of for a fiscal recession, which is why we had set aside some money. 
uh, and that became very handy when we had to make these dramatic cuts to our pay-as-you-go program. We were able to supplant them with, um, with certificates of participation. We are thinking that we are still going to need to do some more of that type of work over the next couple of years, and that's why we have $30 million for critical repairs in, a, um, in the next year, and we also have money for street repaving. Street repaving is another area that if you don't do it, if you don't give it constant attention, it will, the streets will decline very quickly. Um, finally, we did push out some other work um, around hollow justice replacement. That project is really, for all intents and purposes, on hold until the court makes a decision on where they are, on what they're going to do with, with the courthouse at the Hall of Justice. Um, and that also requires state money and those types of things. We keep being told by the state folks that the Hall of Justice is a high priority, but it never seems to reach the level of, of their top five or so where it's going to be in line for money. This is, shows that same chart I showed, you know, similar chart, which just shows you certificates of participation that we've issued and the color ones at the top are ones that we plan to issue going forward. Um, the dash line there is covering some of our Hall of Justice exits. When we, when we pulled the adult probation and district attorney out of the Hall of Justice, we agreed we'd cover the debt service for those as part of the COP program. So that's why those are, are shown there. Finally, pay-as-you-go, I just want to mention, uh, again, this is a part of the lifeblood of what we do with the capital plan, typically not very sexy, um, but really important. So we are recommending um, getting to pre-pandemic funding levels in this capital plan. The last capital plan, we really cut things dramatically. We're recommending, and we've been working with the mayor's budget office to sort of do that. So. Uh, we're looking at a recommendation of $89 million in fiscal year 24. That's approximately $30 million more than the current year, uh, and then increasing it by $25 million per year thereafter. Um, and then we're also, as I mentioned, going to recommend using some COPs to cover some, some shortfalls. Uh, the target is to, again, to get our, street, our pavement condition index score to, 20, to 75, which is very good. I mean, it's... it's it's not great. You would never want your PCI to be above 85, um, but it is certainly very good compared to other cities of our age uh, in the Bay Area and in California. So we think it's important to keep those investments going. Um, they make a big difference in, in, term, in so many different ways, um, not just for people that drive on the streets, but people that also walk on the streets and safety and biking and those types of things. Continuing investments in ADA, um, and we are looking to do some investments, some annual investments in enhancement projects. There are just a certain number of enhancement projects, which could be anything from a landslide area to doing um, unexpected, you know, ADA improvements or or, or um, seismic improvements to buildings that that we need to we know we need to address. Uh, so we think it makes sense to put it in this program. Finally, the pay-as-you-go program, I just wanted to say we we're talking about getting back to the, um, <clears throat> the pre-COVID levels. So the bar at the very top there, um, the bluish-looking bar, that is what we had in our uh, capital plan before COVID. That showed the levels of funding. You can see um, we went from $155 million all the way down to $46 million um, in the last capital plan. So the, bottom, the one on the bottom is the, the previous capital plan, or I should say the current capital plan we're under right now, uh, and then the red bar going through them, that line going through them is what we're proposing in this capital plan. 
So we will be doing some support, but you can see um, those large increases are important because, you know, overall, we are still struggling to, really, to address the city's backlog uh, of repairs. And the next slide here kind of shows that. With this capital plan, you know, it will be around 2027 before we would start to see that backlog go down. And that's only assuming that we're keeping the funding levels I showed you on the previous chart. Um, if we're not able to keep those funding levels, then we will see the backlog continue to grow. Uh, and that has been a very um, a large focus of the capital planning committee, really since we've, we started this program. Um, but we do know whenever there is a recession or whenever these things hit, often capital is one of the things that, that, that gets cut first. In many ways, that's because it doesn't often involve cutting critical services and jobs, at least not immediately. But it does mean down the road um, we're going to face higher costs um, and, and, and a requirement that we make up for those, those failed investments early on. So with that, I will conclude the presentation and happy to answer any questions. And like I mentioned, we do have people in the audience, too, if you have specifics uh, around different programs or projects. Thank you, and I want to uh, thank you so much for the presentation. Um, President Peskin. Thank you, Chair Chan and members of the Budget and Appropriations Committee. Uh, I just first wanted to start by thanking Mr. Strong and his staff, as well as uh, staff from many, many departments who have engaged in this uh, forward-thinking exercise now for getting on to a decade and a half. Uh, is that about right? Feels yep. about right. Yep. Uh, since my then colleague, Sean Ellsburn, uh, came up with this scheme and passed it as a matter of law. And, and I think it's been very helpful and instructive and has led to some good long-term capital investments and results and gives this Board of Supervisors, uh, the mayor, and the public an understanding of just what the future requires and how much it's going to cost and how we have to plan for that. And some of it is pay along the way, pay as you go, and some of that can only be done by some amount of indebtedness, whether it's certificates of participation, which are more costly, or general obligation bonds. Uh, and um, uh, as President Walton did before me, uh, and as I did many years ago, I've now been participating in the latest iteration that is before us, um, and think it is very thorough and complete document and voted to recommend it to this Board of Supervisors. Uh, I have no quibbles there. Obviously, when you have economic downturns, uh, as you just saw, you know, investment goes down, uh, the out-year ticket goes up, and um, some of these projects, I mean, all of these projects are need-to-haves. They're all beyond worthy. I mean, they're fundamentally societal needs, uh, some of them are more important than others because they are really issues of life safety in a seismically prone area of the North American continent, and you've got to take care of your buildings uh, that could collapse, buildings that hold public health services and what have you. Um, the, uh, that's not what I'm here to talk about today. Uh, I wanted to have a frank discussion on the item that I did not vote on because I did not want to predispose myself or this Board of Supervisors as to the immediate uh, question of which bonds in which order. Uh, they are all absolutely worthy. Uh, 
as you heard and as we all know, uh, we, by a majority of the Board of Supervisors, recommended uh, consolidation of certain elections, uh, achieved some amount of cost savings, but there uh, is no election in the 2023 calendar year. And as a result, uh, the bond schedule has uh, been kind of turned on its head a little bit. Uh, this current bond schedule that is part of the capital plan assumes a March of 2024 public health bond. Um, I think every single aspect of that bond is supportable, supportable by unanimity of this Board of Supervisors and hopefully by a two-thirds supermajority of the electorate. Uh, the other bond is a health, uh, is a homelessness and supportive housing bond, although for reasons that I don't quite understand, we keep calling it an affordable housing bond, uh, but there are uh, any number of projects there, including seismic uh, hazard uh, rating four, highest rating projects that need to be done. Um, so th that's the current schedule. That would go in November. So there's a March DPH bond proposal and a November uh, HSH bond proposal. And I wanted to talk about it with the five of you and to ask questions of the departments in light of the following things that I think we should be public about and discuss and um, I don't know that there's a right answer, but there are definitely choices. And here are those things uh, in no particular order. Um, one is, uh, as you heard, there are a couple of huge ticket items uh, that our city and other cities are facing. Uh, one of them is affordable housing, which historically was not an element of the capital plan and under our self-imposed constraints where we don't raise, raise our marginal property tax rate, issue as much debt as we retire is going to hard, be hard to make a dent in. Uh, and the other, of course, is the uh, imperative at this point of the 21st century around climate change and sea level rise. Uh, also an item that is astronomical in size. Um, so those are out there. There is more than talk of a regional November 2024 $10 billion uh, regional bond for the nine Beria counties by the Beria uh, Housing Finance Authority, a creation of the state of California. Um, and so one of the questions that I think we need to ask ourselves is do we want to have two bonds, one local, one regional, that are similar in nature and would appear to the voter to be similar in nature. Why would I, as a voter, uh, even though I want to fund these things, want to vote for a local housing, affordable housing, homelessness bond, and a regional one at the same time? So I, that's, uh, that, that is a question. The other thing that we need to be cognizant of is that uh, the controller has, pursuant to laws that this Board of Supervisors passed, convened the Technical Advisory Committee that is meeting today, right now, I think, uh, to deal with what the inclusionary rate for on-site affordable housing payments in lieu for affordable housing should be uh, in new developments in San Francisco. 
Um, and I think the notion out there is that, number one, the market has changed and the current inclusionary rates that the board passed a number of years ago are no longer financially feasible and that those rates ought to and will come down. That means less affordable housing units. And I think the conventional wisdom is that we would need to supplant that uh, and add to that uh, an affordable housing instrument. And so th that's on the table. And I think that is going to be part and parcel of any mature collaboration, negotiation uh, that is successfully brought about relative to reducing the inclusionary fees is, would be to come up with another source of revenue. And I add to that, we are all very aware, as all of us voted to adopt the new housing element of our general plan, that we have an imperative to build uh, slightly in excess of 40,000 units of affordable housing in the next eight years. I'm less concerned about the market rate units uh, which presumably the market rate, the market will take care of, at least when we get out of this financing trough that we're currently in. So I think those are the factors, um, and I was hoping to hear a little bit from three departments, all of whom are present today. Uh, one, uh, what it would mean to the Department of Public Health, who I've had some offline discussions with, if their bond were be, to be delayed by eight months, because that's a choice. Uh, and the preliminary, I mean, everything uh, gets more expensive the longer you wait, uh, and there's also a need to be ready to build things when those bonds are issued, so how much work needs to be done in the interim relative to design drawings, architectural engineering work, uh, and what the cost of that would be. There are also certain uh, costs associated with the recertification of Laguna Honda that are need to have now uh, items that I think we should all be cognizant of. Um, as to uh, HSH, they are here today and we can talk to them a little bit. And then finally, the Mayor's Office of Housing is present. And I think part of the conversation isn't just the notion that we need to build 40,000 units of affordable housing, but what is real in terms of existing sites, of sites that can be purchased, uh, how fast we can get them into the ground, what the value of that, uh, the financial value of that is. And so Lydia Ely uh, from the Mayor's Office of Housing is here to ask any questions around that. But I think fundamentally we have a choice to make and there is a question as to whether or not we should flip the order and go with uh, the second bond first and the first bond second. And I think there are also questions to ask of the controller's office, which is can we, given recent data, uh, grow the size of the HSH bond to include some r real straight ahead affordable housing dollars? And I think the answer is yes, there is capacity that does not blow our self-imposed uh, constraints on not raising our property tax levels. With that, I will quiet down and turn it over to you, but I think it would be good to ask those questions of the three departments that are here today. Thank you, President Peskin. Supervisor Safayi. Thank you, uh, Chair. Thank you, President Peskin, for giving us a little uh, framing. It's helpful. Appreciate that. 
I want to thank the Capital Planning Committee for its important work. Uh, I think that this 10-year capital plan is definitely a good start. You know, at a high level, I think we definitely need to invest our capital and in capital projects and in improve our infrastructure. So I've certainly made that a top priority of my time here at City Hall. Um, on slide 20, I noticed uh, that we saw the impact of COVID, uh, COVID pandemic on the city's pay-as-you-go program. So the FY uh, fiscal year 2023, we were supposed to be at 181 million a year in the general fund, and this plan only puts 89 million in the general fund forward. So it seems as though there's a little bit of backlog under this plan. It seems to be a, a decision of the mayor's uh, budget office uh, to not go to that level. Um, so I think we need to certainly contribute more to reducing this capital backlog and and I think we have the ability to do a little bit more in terms of capacity. I want to agree with certain uh, certain comments that Super, uh, President Peskin made regarding climate change. Uh, I think that uh, certainly we're not going to be making any amendments today because or maybe there will be and it will be continued but um, I think we need to recognize the impact of climate change on our communities and the call from many of the organizations, some of whom are here today, to fund a climate action plan. Uh, I'm definitely committed to doing that, and reducing greenhouse gas emissions is certainly a top priority of mine. Um, I don't know, uh, just since we're having an honest conversation, I don't know if there's capacity based on what's proposed um, to add it to the 2024 uh, fiscal year 2024 calendar. Um, because of DPH and affordable housing and because of that capacity, uh, but we should certainly explore that um, and certainly updating outdated facilities uh, that are in disrepair contributes to uh, greenhouse gas emission reduction and ha having us meet our newest environmental standards is definitely an important thing, um, but um, definitely want to have a conversation about 2024. I don't think there's one scheduled for 2026. Uh, so we should have that conversation. Um, but we can do that either by amending the resolution and we can have further conversation. The area that I want to drill in on and we, sh and, and we should talk about more today, I've been briefed on both the public health and housing, excuse me, the homelessness and housing. And, and I will say that uh, I'm 100% uh, behind uh, the uh, upgrades to the Chinatown, Silver, and uh, south of market centers, uh, those are extremely important part of our infrastructure in providing healthcare services. Um, but combining the March and November bonds as proposed, is, I don't believe is the best approach. Um, so definitely wanna make sure that we're prioritizing and getting the public health moving. As it, as it relates to the shelter plan, um, um, had a lot of time to think about that. Uh, actually worked next to the family shelter for almost a decade that's there on Golden Gate. I don't like and don't believe the plan to relocate to Polk Street is, a, is, a, is an actual forward-thinking plan. And I think the idea of taking families and keeping them in a drug-infested, um, crime-ridden neighborhood is not the best plan. And then when you actually break down the cost of that plan, 200 beds um, at $100 million, you're talking about $500,000 a bed. $500,000 a bed does not make sense to me. That, that just does not make sense. And by the way, 
much of that is not individual units. There's a some capacity for that, and I've had those conversations with HSA, so they know what I was going to say here today. A lot of it is communal space, and that's hard for families, and I understand that that's not the most desirable, but just the cost associated with that is, is astronomical to me. And then the idea of then taking the Golden Gate site and moving in single adults there, again, uh, drug dealers and, and drug-infested area, um, and we need to do better, and we need to focus on the street-level crime that's happening, but I just, I believe that there needs to be more thought put into that. I think we should ask the new Homeless Oversight Commission that's just being seated now and the controller to look at our shelters right now and come back and make some real recommendations uh, going forward. Um, I think that if that's the case, then we're able to move that conversation to the November ballot and then free up monies for affordable housing. And I, to Supervisor Peskin's point, I think that as part of these ongoing negotiations to reduce the inclusionary number, we need to figure out a way to increase our affordable housing in other areas. And, and I think this points to a place where we can have that conversation and then have a more thoughtful, detailed conversation about shelter um, and that plan for the November ballot. So those are my comments uh, before we open up to public comment. Um, again, thank you to the capital plan uh, and Brian and team and others that were involved in that. And I look forward to public comment. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair Mendelman. Thank you, Chair Chan. Um, thank you, President Peskin, for your service on the Capital Planning Committee and your thoughts on this. I guess I have uh, my thoughts are in sort of three buckets, um, climate, public health, and affordable housing. Um, on climate, um, I actually think the transportation bond is a climate bond. Uh, I think there's a need for a, a decarb bond as well, but there is um, uh, there's a transportation bond that right now is pushed out, at least in our planning, to November of 2026. And um, it causes me anxiety, given that that bond was needed last year, um, given that we have a lot of projects that need to move forward, including uh, projects that I think um, Supervisor Rohn has done some work on, with and, and Supervisor Walton around Petrero, but, but there's a lot. I mean... Um, and I just have, we have operating needs at MTA and we need to figure out a way to address those, but we have serious capital needs. And I think the experience of Prop L shows us that we can pass transit at the, at the ballot if we, if we do it right and we're thoughtful about it. And I would love to not have to wait until November of 2026 to do that. Um, I think that there needs to be, and I don't know that we can get it done for this uh, you know, f for this plan or for a 2024 bond. But I think we need to think about the capital costs of the, of the building decarbonization that, we are that the state and we are moving forward with. And it's a complicated analysis because there's federal money for this now and there's, we hope there will be state money and, and it's a little unclear what we can actually do with bond funds. But I think that that thinking needs to happen and move forward and relatively quickly. So I have trouble voting um, you know, for, this, for this plan if I don't have some sense that we, are, that we have a clear path to how the combination of Office of you know, Resilience and Capital Planning, the Department of the Environment, 
planning, PUC, everybody else who has to be part of this conversation um, isn't going to be thoughtfully pulling together, you know, what, what we need to do to get funds to support people as we move to, you know, buildings that don't, um, don't have uh, uh, natural gas. Um, <clears throat> so I guess those are my climate thoughts. My public health thoughts I feel uh, equally strongly, and maybe more strongly about. Um, I have a very hard time going to the voters with another public health. We, we did a public health bond in 2020, and it was you know public health and homelessness, and it was in the midst of the pandemic. It was like a grab bag, but it was very much motivated by we have to respond to homelessness. We need a bond. We need to right, and we have made many investments over many years in various notions of behavioral health beds that we need, and we've been chasing after these 400 beds that were identified. In a, it's more than a back of the envelope exercise, but it wasn't a comprehensive analysis of what we need to do for uh, people with behavioral health needs in the city. And it was particularly, I think where we have consistently fallen short is on the facilities for the people with the highest acuity needs. We are doing a relatively good job, I think, of moving forward with opening drug treatment and those drug treatment beds that are in that plan. Um, the step-down beds that were opened up on Treasure Island, that's very exciting. But there is a population of people. They are in our jails. They are, in our, uh, they are at Zuckerberg. They are in all of our hospitals, and they are on our streets, for whom a 90-day treatment program or even two years is not enough. They need to have appropriate facilities where they're going to receive care, sometimes for much longer than that. And the challenges that I, I understand DPH has, even when this board appropriates funds for locked subacute beds, for example, they go out onto the market, they look around California, every other county is looking for those same beds, and we can't, we can't find them. I rise to Hillary Ronan levels of frustration <laughs> and outrage about the fact that we allow this to continue year after year. Um, I would like to channel a little bit, I mean, I'd like to channel a little Hillary Rodin right now in that. It's, it's just completely unacceptable to me, and as I know it is to, to Supervisor Ronan. And um, I have a very hard time considering going to the voters with a public health bond when I feel like we don't have a plan, much less including any of that plan in that bond to address those needs of people with severe mental illness. It's an operating dollar problem, I understand. We need to find the money to pay for the very expensive placements for people, but we gotta do this. And I feel, you know, I'm, as I said, I'm, I'll say it one more time, I'm gonna have a real hard time supporting a public health bond in 2024 if we don't have a path to dealing with the needs of people with severe mental illness. And maybe, ideally, including some of that in that, in that bond. Um, and, uh, my, and I, you know, to that end, I think, you know, Greg may be aware, I'm in my office and I've talked with Supervisor Ronan before our committee was formed about this, about, you know, I've been, I'm eager to convene some kind of conversation among the various sheriff's department, public health, controller, city administrator, about let's come up with something that is either the, you know, the non-jail-jail -jail replacement project, because there are hundreds of fewer people getting uh, what minimal, you know, what care they might have once been getting in jails, or the Laguna Honda's worth of facilities for people with behavioral health needs, which would help address um, our challenges at Laguna Honda as well. I don't care how we package it, but it's hundreds and hundreds of beds, and we need to figure it out, and I want us to do that. All right, that's that little lecture. Lastly, 
plainly we need to invest in affordable housing as well. That need is acute. I am, in, I am encouraged and I think I'm glad that the board is united around this BAFA um, idea and I hope that we, and that will generate more money than any local bond would for those housing investments. Um, if we were gonna break the cap, if we were gonna say that there is something that voters might be willing to vote for that would be above the line, I think housing would, might be, I think it's worth looking at that line um, because housing is an extraordinary thing for a municipal government to be using its bonding capacity to pay for. And it's worth it, we all wanna do it, but maybe it can be presented or maybe it exists in a slightly different category where we explain to the voters, we're not taking you above this line for the core government functions, but we may be, taking, we may be asking you to go above the line for housing, or at some point we may be going, asking you to go above the line for climate. I'm not sure they'll do it for climate, but anyway, those are a few of, a few of my thoughts. I'll get out of the way. And if Supervisor Ronan would just acquiesce for a second. I think our self-imposed constraint is a little discordant with the fact that other agencies and governmental bodies that are not us do have bonding instruments that appear on our ballot and affect our property owners and in turn their tenants, commercial and residential. So our self-imposed constraints do not apply to the community colleges. They don't apply to the San Francisco Unified School District. They don't apply to BART. So the reality is while we are sending a message and it has been true now for a decade and a half that if you vote for the bond that we put on the ballot it is not going to raise your taxes, while that part is true, doesn't mean your taxes aren't going up because you voted for the community college bond and they're not, they, they don't have that same self-imposed constraint. So I, mean, I think there, and, and indeed the BAFA bond would not be subject to that constraint. And you know, our share of the BAFA bond would be a minimum of $1.2 billion over a 10 year period. Uh, but that could actually allow us to back that assumption out of a capital plan for a period of time. Um, so, and there's also polling data that is public data that can be shared, which is that San Franciscans are, by a two-thirds supermajority, willing to incur additional uh, financial responsibility uh, or liability um, for certain things that rise to the level. And at the top of that list actually is affordable housing at, seven, at 73%. Thank you. Supervisor Ronan. Thank you. Um, first, I just wanted to thank um, Brian Strong for this work. I, I actually, believe it or not, look forward to my capital plan briefing every year. Um, so recently got, got the briefing. I always learned so much um, about you know, every city department and, and our needs. Um, I, you know, I, 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 it remains to be seen what the polling data looks like for the regional bond and whether it's gonna go on the, the, the March or the November ballot. Um, but I very much think that we need to be forming our strategy about order and which bonds go where in relation to that, to that bond, especially if it's polling well. Um, because I just, I think, I, I just like Supervisor Peskin and, and, and Brian Strong and I had this conversation in, in pre preparation for this meeting, I'm not so sure voters are going to vote for two bonds for the same thing, even if one is local and one is regional. Um, so, you know, that 
has to play in our decision making. Uh, we will have a um, MTC retreat in the next coming days where I'm sure we're going to be talking about this. There is also conversation, to your point, Supervisor Mandolin, about another regional, regional transportation bond. Um, again, we don't have polling on that yet, so that will determine a lot about whether or not that goes forward. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of these questions we're going to have to decide when we have more information. In terms of the environment, I was just curious, Brian, um, does the plan itself describe what emissions reductions or including decarbonization measures um, are, are in the current plan? Like, are we, are we tracking that at all for our capital plan? And do we link it to our climate action plan in any way so that they sort of cross-reference each other? Yeah, I mean, we, we do have links to various aspects of the climate action plan and the capital plan, but it is difficult because our, our capital plan, again, focuses on city-owned infrastructure with the exception of housing and a lot of those, and a lot of the aspects and goals of the climate action plan are related to privately-owned property, right? That's where when you think about facilities there, the majority of the facilities are going to be privately owned that need to convert. Um, and, and then when you think about our transportation network too, it's getting people out of cars. So th there is, so it is certainly it's referenced in our capital plan. As I explained, I think at our last hearing, we do not have one big program or uh, project that's related to the climate action plan. I mean, I think it's a 20 to $25 billion was the total number. So we do not have that. Just like the same way we don't have one big seismic bond to deal with all of our seismic needs in the capital plan too. So I do think, you know, while we are working with Department of Environment and we identify it in the plan and we, we do intend to track it and, and we're, we're trying to put money into our own facilities to make sure they can convert from gas to electric it's it's going to um, we're going to have to do it take it like one piece at a time it's just way too big it's it's way too big to sort of chew on all at once i'm just so. thinking for future plans um, if we could include the estimated emissions reduction with each sort of activity it would help us and and especially yeah. with each bond right if we're not going to you know, have the will or what either, whether that's internally or with the voters to approve a climate action bond itself, then at yeah. least we should be able to review among the bonds that are before us or the, the, the activities that are before us, what impact they would have on climate emissions. And that could, could bump it up or, or bump yeah. it down depending on, on that, how much it, it helped us improve our emissions record. Yeah, no, we can certainly do that. And I mean, part of the way that we've been, so going back, I think in 15 to 20 years, we've had this requirement that you have to do a lead silver or now a lead gold for every building we do. So every time we do a retrofit, we are doing, we, we, and, and now we have a, a lot of things, we have other rules around embodied carbon and those types of things. So every time we do a retrofit, every time we do a construction project, we are, 
consciously trying to make sure we're doing it in a way that's better for the environment. Um, so that's, that is sort of built in. So just by the sheer fact that we're going to be constructing new shelters or new um, health clinics, those are going to be, you know, better for the environment than the existing buildings that they're yeah. in. I just, so. I just think, as I was saying in the beginning of, I, I learned yeah. so much every time I have this briefing about what's happening in the city across departments. I just, yeah. I think having that information, like, you know, working with the Department of Environment to yeah. estimate this will lower our emissions by X percent, it, it, it is an extra piece of information that will help us review the order of these things and, you know, like, Supervisor Mandelman said the transportation bond is probably going to no, be much greater, and so we should say, well, maybe maybe we should move that up, or you know, for advocates who are looking specifically for a climate action bond, you know, if the, if that never pulls high enough that it's actually going to be a reality in the near term, right. then maybe we could say their their effort could be, well, we want to push the transportation bond up the chain of priorities. You know, I just think it's another way we could look at things that would be really helpful and it's kind of a nice place to look yeah. at it because it's where $40 billion is gonna go over the next 10 years. It's where San Francisco can, can play a large role in reducing emissions and meeting our own climate goals. And it provides us a bit of education to policymakers about how, how much does, do, do each of these activities either raise or lower our emissions. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think that is certainly something we can do. And if you, we're even thinking about it, if you see those early slides I had around resilience. So, um, so happy to follow up on that. Okay, that I, would be great. I would yeah. really love to work with you on that. Thanks. Thank you. Supervisor Walton, I saw your name was on the roster. Thank you, Chair Chan. I, I really was just gonna reiterate a lot of what has been said. Uh, the one thing I will say, I think to the extent that there is a regional housing bond, San Francisco can't afford to be left out. And if there's a local housing bond, San Francisco obviously would have to step up and fight to, to be successful. So we are definitely in a conundrum as we look at when elections exist now, look at the capital plan, which I, I think is thorough, but most certainly um, a good chunk of achieving success depends on what we can do at the ballot box and so we we have to work on uh, timelines and timing and how we prioritize which is not going to be easy thank you um colleagues i i think the way that i'm looking at it it's that um i'm seeing the public uh, public health um, specifically looking at the health clinics, I think those are long overdue. Um, I think it's something we need to seriously consider. Um, I concur with Supervisor Safai, you mentioned about, you know, the, the, the challenges and questions around 1001 Polk Street Shelter and 260 Golden Gate Shelter. I do not understand why those two actually are broken up. Uh, into two, like March and November, and instead of together. Can someone answer that? Emily, did you want to take it? I mean, I can start on that. I mean, part yeah. of it is really, uh, one, we, we thought the family shelter certainly goes with the public health bond to some extent. Two, uh, we, the public health, I'm sorry, the 1001 Polk Street is much further along in terms of design and in terms of being ready uh, for construction. And then 
three, the 260 Golden Gate is part of a larger development project that HSH is working with um, Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development on, where, where we see that site as an opportunity to add to the affordable housing stock that's so important to the city, and at the same time be able to leverage that new addition with the new shelter. So a partnership with a developer where we could do the shelter on the bottom floor and then have the housing, you know, affordable housing on the top floors. But Emily, did you wanna? Oh, okay. Thank you. And do we actually have, I mean, I think typically we have some ideas about um, scope, like in this case, the public health bond clearly give us a definition of like what the bond program, the scope of work includes. But right now for the November 2024 affordable housing piece of it, sounds it seems to me though out of 200 million, there's still about 600, 160 million that it's unclear to me what, like it's just kind of vague of what affordable housing is or what is the programming. Do we have projects? that we, we, we know that it's gonna be that included, destinated for, Lydia, did you for those dollars? I mean, I, I can, again, Lydia, feel free to come up. I mean, I, I know that it's going to the pipeline and that that pipeline is important, but I would defer to you as far as what, in, what, what constitutes the pipeline. I think you would explain it much better than me. Good afternoon, Supervisors. Lydia Ely, Deputy for Housing at MOCD. Um, so we have a very robust pipeline um, and our needs for projects that are already um, in active pre-development, um, projects that you all know and love and are excited about. Um, we have a funding gap for those projects of 302 million. And then for new projects, things that haven't launched yet like 1979 Mission, the HSH um, shelter rebuild housing, projects that we'll be funding under NOFAs that we are um, that we have currently on the street. We're expecting many, many projects to come in, but we only have funds for site acquisition. We don't have funds to actually build them. That pipeline is another 470 million. So yeah, we have lots of projects that we can spend funds on. Of course, there's always a level of risk because we depend heavily on uh, SIDLAC in Sacramento to give our projects the green light. So of course there's no guarantees. As we just heard this morning, lots of cost overruns on PG&E front, but um, that is our best uh, guess as of today. Thank you. And, and I think that my question also, I, I know that we want to kind of lump the transportation bond into sort of this climate, you know, um, and I totally get it. We, we did just pass the sales tax renewals, roughly $2 billion over the next three decades. Um, they are actually all dedicated to, with the exception of paratransit um, operation funds, they're pretty much dedicated to capital improvements citywide, uh, which I perceive that as really part of the climate change and climate crisis uh, strategy. Um, but the MTA facilities and yards, though, here that we're talking about as the $300 million, there are actually particular, they're specifically, I believe, for Patrol Hill, and I don't know which one, which the other one, it's two facilities, right? Two, two bus yards that the $300 million of SFMTA transportation bond Um, Brian Strong again, Office of Capital Planning. And, um, it's Potrero and Presidio Yard, mm -hmm. I think, are the two ones that are 
largest the bus and most consideration. Yeah. The one thing I wanted to, if I can quickly make one quick comment on the um, the sales, the continuation of the sales tax measure. It was very successful, which was which was great. It was a continuance of a fee that was already in existence. So that that is just something I would note. It's a little bit. Brian, can you pick your microphone up? Yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. That it's a continuance of. Um, in other words, that that measure, it was continuing, right? It was extending the, the measure that was already in place. So to some extent, I would just, just want to say that to some extent, that means that people were not seeing that as a new cost. Similar, you know, that, that's part of the reason why we like to have that in our capital planning program to say we're only issuing new bonds as we retire old ones, so you're not increasing your tax rates. That's the only thing I would say is I know when we think about those, renewals tend to receive more support than something that's new or right. that they perceive as new. Yeah, so, I, I agree. But good points. Right, and and I want to continue to uh, to talk about that a little bit too. It's like uh, specifically, I don't know if anybody from SFMTA is here, but what SFMTA at this moment that I would say, you know, between now to 2025, is that it, its deficits lies in operation deficits. It's not capital, and and given the fact that we have just the two billion dollar sales tax renewal, that they we can they can actually tie over. Maybe someone from SFMTA can speak on that. But what I'm looking for. It's it truly to just independently looking at the bond program, not to look at the bond program, bond program and our schedule, but to actually look at SFMTA governings of it and operation of it. What it lacks is operation funds, and it's in currently suffering operation deficits. And I, for one, would say that I look forward to seeing a regional solution because SFMTA is not the only one that's suffering operation deficits. So is BART and other transit agency. So I look forward to seeing the state solution for an operation funding that, that sustain our public transit. Uh, with that said, I, I also want to talk a little bit about that is besides the Bay Area Housing Authority bond that we're going to do an affordable house, like looking forward to seeing that and possibly also a transit bond or transit ballot measure that provides funding for, for our public transit. There's also, and I think Mr. Strong, you can confirm, there's actually already a proposal of $1.1 billion SF San Francisco Unified School District bond that is in for 2024. I, I mean, that is what they communicated to us through the capital plan, but I don't think it's gone through any of their commit, you know, through the, through the school board yet. And we had heard it's in the billion dollar range. Right. So, and, yeah. and if that were to go through, that is going to likely to be, it, it seems like they're proposing for November 2024, one point, well, a little bit over $1 billion uh, unified school district bond. Yeah, I, I had heard that they haven't made up their mind if it's going to be in March or November. But but so, 2024 but 2024, is what 2024 is their preferred timeline. Yes. So colleagues, I think there's a lot of like I think we. It sounds to me, and and please correct me if I'm wrong. If I could finish this thought, Vice Chair Mandelman, is that it, it sounds like we have a lot of thoughts, and then we we have a lot of information that we want to gather. We want to better understand the existing projects that before us. Can we get gather information from the Department of Environment and and city departments to help us better understand the decarbonization of these capital projects? So to help us better understand what a climate change or climate action bond actually should look like or could look like. It seems like we, we have some questions about transportation, but we, we could go and could, but then also depending on what the region 
uh, possibility of a ballot measure for funding or for op both operation or capital would look like. We definitely have a lot of questions about affordable housing on a local level as well as a regional level. Um, but could I get some feedback at least, you know, after Vice Chair Mandelman to have a better understanding about the, is there consensus or at least to give, <laughs> to give our capital planning folks, as particularly Mr. Strong, some consensus or some indication about where we're at on the clinics that we're looking at in terms of public health. Because I would say, you know, just looking at the bond schedule, March 2024 is what they're aiming for. So it would be super helpful for this body to give some indication of what your thinking is uh, in terms of specifically on the health clinic. Vice Chair Mandelman. Um, well, but, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to address that. But my my my, my original uh, just little um, nitpicking about the MTA bond um, is is that I th I mean at least the four hundred million dollar version that we were considering in twenty twenty two was yes about a couple of big um, uh, facilities, but it was about a lot of other stuff too, including uh, buses and trains and. Um, you know, many, you know, mm -hmm. road repaving, I think, and, you know, uh, lots, lots of different um, investments that are important uh, to getting people out of their cars and um, having people um, uh, using public transit. I think insofar as we are able to get that number up to something more like that 400 or more, I, I think that that would be a good thing to be trying to do. And then in response to the sort of, it's easier to pass a sales tax than to pass a bond. I mean, maybe, but the bond almost passed with, you know, it lost by one point. Um, and it, in, with perhaps the crankiest electorate San Francisco has seen in, you know, a long, long time. People were coming out to vote, um, not primarily about that, uh, about that bond, but that bond certainly got, you know, caught up in the backwash of everything else that was going on. So um, I would say that in another, in a, nor in a more normal uh, June or March, or in a, um, or certainly in a presidential, um, and with a, you know, with a, with a good campaign, I, I don't think the, I don't think the lesson of 2022 is that we can't pass a transportation bond. I don't think people should take that lesson. On the public health bond, I'm, you know, not opposed to a March 2024 public health bond. But right now, I, I mean, <laughs> in concept, in this moment, I am opposed to a March 2024 public health bond because I have deep concerns about uh, public health's failure to adequately address capital needs around people with severe mental illness. Understood. Um, I, I want to quickly address sort of this conversation that we had about before I pour a call on board President Peskin, I, I just want to quickly address also this whole, you know, self-imposed cab uh, that we have uh, in terms of, you know, the bond debt and retiring and, and be able to continue to um, go for more bond dollars. I, I think that while it may be true that, you know, because of BART or, you know, other entities, uh, regional entities that come in uh, that actually continue that prop our property tax has been increasing um, to beat these obligations. Uh, that it's not entirely just San Francisco. I want to say for the city and county of San Francisco that we have consistently having 
uh, excellent bond rating is because that we have been responsible and physically responsible, that we meet our obligation and that we retire our debts before we take on more. And I think that that has been, uh, we're like triple A, if not, uh, if, you know, double A or triple A, if not, you know, to that, we, we've been consistent to be having excellence bond rating. And I think that it is critical for us to maintain that uh, moving forward. And it's the reason why I, I wouldn't be in support of to just blowing the cap um, and, and to just really consistency, to consistently look at what we can do to maintain at this level to make sure that we're retiring the debt before we take on more so that we're not stressing our uh, capacity uh, too much. Board President Peskin. Thank you, Chair Chan. I was hoping that maybe we could, as I indicated at the beginning, hear from the Department of Public Health as to what the fiscal implications would be were to were this board to, I, I hear there's a diversity of opinion and there are, are an, un, what did Ed Harrington say? There was a unlimited amount of need and a limited amount of financial resource. But all of that notwithstanding, what would it mean to DPH fiscally if the bond were to be switched and delayed until November? Uh, thank you, Supervisors. Greg Wagner, Chief Operating Officer, Department of Public Health. Uh, working with the capital planning folks and our cost estimators uh, based on that Es construction escalation rates, uh, the estimate is that it would be approximately $9.9 .9 million for the uh, escalation cost between uh, March and uh, November. Um, and then in addition, uh, Supervisor Peskin and others had asked us about the potential cost to keep the uh, work moving between uh, the, the two dates, and we estimate that that would be about two to two point five million dollars to um, uh, continue progress during that time, uh, which could be repaid upon the issuance of the debt. So, Madam Chair, if I still have the floor, I just want to drill down into that a little bit. Uh, there are a number of items: silver, uh, health center number four. Um, none of them, to my knowledge, have anything approaching a hundred percent working drawings, construction drawings, etc. So that presumably the $2.5 million figure, Mr. Wagner, would be to advance those projects and get them through engineering and design and ready for construction. Uh, that's correct. Uh, the, the clinic project that's furthest along is Chinatown, which is fairly advanced um, and would be um, clo close to ready to go uh, upon the first bond. But you're correct that we still do have work to do. We have some funds that were appropriated in the capital planning fund in prior years to start that planning, uh, which we've been uh, using. But you're correct that for Silver Avenue, uh, building three on the campus and uh, uh, the uh, city clinic, we have work to do to prepare. And remind me, I know I've seen this presentation in the past, but the timeline for the one that is most advanced Chinatown did it assume with the passage of a March bond that we would actually have an NT, a notice to proceed shortly thereafter? Or when, was, when did we contemplate actual construction and floating a bond starting to sell off, starting to sell the first tranche? Our, our 
target and our intention was to be ready to go upon passage of the bond to begin issuing uh, bids and, and proceed. <coughs> okay, so it's basically a $12 million hit. Correct. <coughs> and then Laguna Honda? Yeah, um, and then that is the, the last piece. Um, uh, one of the components of the bond, which is critical uh, infrastructure for our hospital campuses, $31 uh, million dollars included in the, um, the capital plan bond program. There are a couple of uh, components of that, as you uh, referenced, Supervisor Peskin, related to Laguna Honda Hospital. Uh, these are um, infrastructure uh, renewals uh, that have historically been larger than is available to fund under the cash program of the capital plan, um, and, and therefore we, we try to periodically move them into the bond. Uh, there's approximately uh, 16 uh, million estimated for Laguna Honda uh, infrastructure improvements. Those include uh, uh, replacement and renewal of the HVAC system, uh, some improvements to the water tank, uh, water tanks on the campus or replacement of the water tanks and the, the kitchen at the hospital. And that's in the old structure, not the new structure. Uh, the kitchen is in the new structure, and there are uh, defects in the uh, uh, structure. The water tanks pre-existed the new hospital, uh, and the HVAC system is in the new uh, building also. They don't last that long. There have been uh, some challenges, both with the um, issues with the construction at the new hospital, but in the, for the HVAC in particular, uh, it, the equipment has deteriorated quickly due to the wet uh, wet air uh, up on, on the hospital building. But there were some design flaws in the original equipment that was uh, installed when the hospital was constructed. So basically 16 is you have a higher near-term need for than the balance. Yeah, the, the 16 million is uh, Projects that have been identified as part of the work that we're doing around recertification, they're not in the immediate pathway for the upcoming months that you've been hearing about at your, your hearings at this board. Um, but those are projects that we really need to do to keep ourselves from going back into this uh, regulatory cycle in the future. And they're related to issues, particularly around the HVAC and the kitchen that have been identified. And so those are one of the time sensitive um, items that make us uh, anxious. And we've been working closely with the capital planning folks to figure out how we can uh, really try to keep the, the progress moving on those so that we can um, uh, move quickly enough to remove any hesitation from our regulatory agencies. So you just heard what I heard colleagues, which is if you flip them, you got a $12 million problem. Uh, well, it's really a $9.9 .9 million problem because remember that the monies they expend for design and engineering can be reimbursed from the bond. So that it's a really, it's a, you're driving a $10 million problem. And then if there were a March bond, you still got a nearer term need for 16. I'm, I'm just laying out what I'm hearing. Uh, I don't, that was the near term capital needs that presumably could be paid cash and as we go, because that's not a big ticket item, but easier said than done. 
um, but we have not yet heard from uh, homelessness and supportive housing, the third department that is implicated in any potential swap if we were to go there. And Ms. Emily Cohen is here on behalf of that department. If colleagues, you want to hear from her. Good afternoon, uh, Emily Cohen, Deputy Director for Communications and Ledge Affairs at the Department of Homelessness. Uh, thank you for the opportunity and through the chair, I also want to invite my colleague Gigi Whitley, who's joining remotely, to uh, to chime in here. The, the project at 1001 Polk Street, I've heard some concerns about here. You know, we think that the location at Geary and Polk is significantly better for families experiencing homelessness than the current family shelter that I, I used to work at. So very familiar with the property at 260 Golden Gate and really feel like this Polk opportunity would give families tremendous opportunity. We're going to have 32% more non-congregate capacity at that site and 32% more congregate capacity at that site with additional childcare space, after, after school space, kitchen, family-oriented amenities. And we've developed this proposal, obviously in close partnership with Public Works, but also hand-in-hand -hand with homeless families and family service providers to try to determine what a better family shelter model could be. Given our goal is, of course, to get families out of shelter as quickly as possible, and this is a, a temporary program, but the, to have that capacity and have those amenities, I think, will really strengthen the program. I will turn it over to Gigi to answer the, the direct question from Supervisor Peskin about the impact of, the, of a delay. Thank you, Gigi Whitley, HSH. Um, apologies for not being able to be with you today. Um, President Peskin, we estimate also about a 5% cost of escalation from the delay. So that would be about $5 million in additional cost. Um, we had put in a close to $6 million request to capital planning for PAYGO funds uh, to get us to 65% of design development to be able to have those um, engineering drawings ready to go out to bid as soon as the bond passed. Um, you know, we. We're unlikely to get that size of PAYGO in this um, budget climate, and so we're expecting that to be repaid by the bond if we weren't able to get that full amount. So in total, um, almost $11 million. Thank you. I, that was really helpful. So, I mean, colleagues, basically net-net zero. It's a policy, I mean, not to sound like I don't want to take his job, but it's a policy matter for the board. Go ahead, Supervisor I'm Safai. So, I'm sorry, but, there, but there's also other things. <laughs> there's all types of talk conversations. Um, Douglas Legg, Deputy City Administrator. Both the Chinatown um, project and the family shelter are in the March bond. So it's, it's $10 million escalation cost for public health and then $6 million escalation cost for HSH which is $16 million, not, not net net. So there's definitely, there's definitely escalation costs that we, that we face if we do this one. Thank you for giving me those bulging eyes. I get it now. Um, so, but I, I guess 
we should ask the opposite question, today. which is what cost savings are there to HSH and MOHCD if they go eight months earlier? I mean, we should ask the reciprocal question. I should not have jumped to that conclusion, but I mean, presumably, it, if the cost of construction is going up for one party, it's going up for the other party, and whoever gets in the ground first saves money. Fair? Lydia? All you have to do is just say, yeah, you saved the same amount of money. It's complicated. Um, <laughs> the I'll first gap that we show is actually not hitting us till. Um, the first major gap is 24-25. So that's when we really need the money and not before. Um, and um, further delays after 2024 um, would, we're saying 6%. I mean, I guess everybody has a different number. Our escalation costs, we're estimating at 6% a year. So depending on when the funds would hit the street, um, we would start feeling that pinch after mid-2025. So I, yourself, are you, I, I mean, because I have questions too, but you can go ahead. Oh, I mean, I, I think Supervisor Peskin said it, or it was maybe Douglas might have mentioned it, but I think the idea is that I don't think it would be flipping everything from one to the other. It's more about moving one piece of it to the November and what that impact is on, on HSH. But I, I just think that you know, that's why we're having these conversations. We have to look at the priorities of the need that is there now. Um, definitely believe that the, the idea of having the, the health clinics as a priority is, is something to look at um, and why we need to have that as quickly as possible. Then we have the regional bond. And then, you know, at the end of the day, there is gonna, th this is a really small amount of money for affordable housing, given the current environment that's even more competitive than we have been in the past. I mean, before we used to submit and we would almost certainly get our tax credit allocations. That's not happening anymore. Because San Francisco is more expensive, because the cost of construction, because of all these other things, we are being denied or postponed monies. So we need more money now. And just to add on to the previous conversation, um, because of delays and because of some of the fights between the PUC and PG&E, we're using affordable housing money pay for infrastructure costs. And that takes away for our ability to do affordable housing. So there's all these different policy priorities that are coming into play in this larger conversation. And I think affordable housing has to rise to the top, as well as some of these larger policy negotiations that are happening with regard to inclusionary housing. And then, I, I, again, I just I want to say, I, and I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, 100 million for 200 beds for family shelter, I, I just don't think that's cost effective. That's $500,000 a bed. And I would like to see the new commission weigh in and look at options that could be better suited for the November ballot. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Safai. I have a different opinion. I mean, the way that I'm, I think that, you know, I'm looking at the 1001 Polk and 260 Golden Gate Shelter. I mean, if we must, you know, I would prefer to have Golden Gate 260 um, Golden Gate Shelter along with the public health and shelters as a bond, as one bond together, if we must, and then to really think separately about affordable housing. I mean, I got, you know, I, I mean, I appreciate... Um, 
uh, lady at listing just sort of the needs, but then le the needs are like seven, $800 million needs. They're not just $100 million needs. And then my question would be, if we're going to go for affordable housing bond on a local level, that is only about $160 million. So how do we prioritize $800 million needs within that $160 million? Uh, bond. And I don't think I can be in support of it unless I understand how are we prioritizing that. And so, or are they just, I don't know, uh, just like a backup funding for anything that in, that we would need, like, you know, in the, case, in the events like a PG&E overspending or PG&E bills that we end up have to pay for. So I'm, I'm just not in that space of thinking about an affordable housing bond that actually is not clear to me how we are actually prioritizing all these projects in the pipeline, which is $800 million worth of, of, worth of it. So um, with that said, it seems like I don't have any other names on the roster. Do we, I just want to give a last shout out, last round. Um, I think, <laughs> Vice Chairman Domen. No, it's okay. Well, aside from my own personal uh, sort of obsessions with things that I think ought to be in public health bonds, th the other thought I have about these two proposed um, 2024 bonds, I mean, I, a I do have a concern with going and sort of what's the story of those bonds that gets told to voters? Because I do think that they're, a they're like, there's some folks, some really hardworking, excellent public servants in different city departments who have some projects they need to get done. And so we're going to the voters and saying, pass a bond so we can, you know, get these projects done. I sort of think of bonds as sort of being like, each bond kind of needs a story of what you're trying to do. And it needs to be a little bit uplifting. And I'm having trouble seeing what that is with the 2024 bonds, which I think is particularly challenging in, in March, um, maybe less so in November, but just another thing to throw out there. I agree, uh, President Peskin. Well, I wanna just raise a procedural matter, which is uh, that if we were to do this, it would require, as it has in the past, an amendment to the resolution that is before you today. Uh, that amendment would read, if this committee were willing, further resolve that this board amends the capital plan to revise the timing of the general obligation bond scheduled for 2024, such that the affordable housing and shelter GO bond shall be scheduled to appear on the March 2024 ballot and the public health and shelter GO bond shall be scheduled to appear on the November 2024 ballot. That's what the language would say. Um, I was actually came into this meeting not uh, intending to suggest that this committee take any action, but I have been informed that the adoption of those words would be deemed to be substantive and would require a one-week continuance. Insofar as the capital plan is supposed to be approved on or before May the 1st, and were the committee to take action on uh, next Wednesday the 20, what is that, 6th? Six. Six. 
uh, it would get to the full board on May the 2nd, which is darn close to May the 1st, and you guys would only go to administrative code jail for one that night. Um, I think that just to preserve this option, I would suggest and request that you make this amendment today to preserve the ability to do it. If you decide not to do it, you can take it out next week, but you can't put it in next week because that would continue it to May the 3rd and it wouldn't get to the full board of supervisors until May the 9th, and then you'd spend a week in admin code jail. Do we have the language, though? I just read it. <laughs> I, I, mean, I can not only read it, I can circulate it to you. Please circulate them. Hold on one second. <laughs> a few clicks of a I button. I think Brent needs, or our clerk would need, Brent Haliba would need yes, the, the language. And so does the city attorney needs to look at yes, it. Yes, you will all have it, and I am happy to reread it. And I am typing each of your names into an email. Can I? Sounds good. Can I ask a uh, question related to this? I just, I don't feel ready to make this decision yet because, as I said, I think it really depends on what happens with the regional bond. And, and so I'm just wondering if you could lay out for me whether we approve what's before us today or we amend it to switch them around. What does that, does that permanently lock us in? No. No. I mean, so, uh, the, the reality is... Uh, and I'm making this up, but sometime in the month of September of this year, is that true? We have to vote to determine what we are putting on the March ballot. Right. So, no. Uh, it's, I mean, procedurally, it would be nice to have the capital plan actually match what we do, and that's a part, part of the reason we actually created this whole rubric was because in the old days, Every time there was a ballot, there would be a big fight between members of the board, members of the public organizations, the mayor and the board, about what thing was going to be next, and there was no batting order, and it was absolute chaos. And for the last decade and a half, we've actually done it with intention and science and data, and it's been a really good thing. So it would be nice to get that part right. By the way, just so that we're clear, I'm not married to this swap. I just think it's a conversation worth having, having knowing that, I, just so we're clear, I'm not just communicating to the five of you, I'm communicating with the mayor's office, and I said to the mayor's office a couple of weeks ago when this started, when this light bulb went off over my head about what I think we all don't want, which is the HSH affordable housing bond to be on the same ballot with a regional housing bond. I think that, I, I think that doesn't make sense. Now, is the BAFA bond really going to come to fruition in November of 24? It looks like it, but it's too early to say. But I asked the administration, what were you, this doesn't seem like a good idea to have them both at the same time. What were you thinking? And the answer basically was, well, if that's the case, we will swap out the HSH bond, delay it, and backfill it with another bond that's you know, further down the batting order. So which didn't seem, well, I'm not being critical, but I think this is a conversation worth having. I, we're not locking ourselves into it, but I think it's right to adopt, we should definitely adopt a capital plan. Uh, the stuff that is on page 10 of the capital plan, which is the batting order, is what's at issue here, and there isn't a right answer. I mean, we're just picking amongst our children.
So, um, sorry, I, I just like, let, why don't, as we noodle over or as we review the language proposed by President Peskin, I, I agree, I concur with Supervisor Walton's like, let's go to public comment and then let's see how the public comments goes and then while we have a little bit time to review the language. Um, so Mr. Clerk, please go to public comment. Thank you, Madam Chair. Members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now. However, for those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2484-035-3728, and then press pound twice. How once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. And for those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and that'll be your signal uh, to begin your comments. Um, sir, if you could step up. Thank you for allowing me to speak forward. Um, there are uh, regional bonds, some uh, HSH bonds. Um, you got to do something about the amendment before, because you can't do it next week. You got you to do something with the amendment today at this hearing because you can't do it next week. Um, you can't put it in as the board president um, uh, has said. So what I'm asking is um, to do that, let's get this passed. Ten-year infrastructure plan is, is great. It's great, okay? So that's all I got. Thank you. Thank you much for your comments. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, President Peskin, supervisors. Uh, my name is Joyce Kalagos. Um, I was notified by the um, SF Climate Emergency Coalition that we need a bond measure now, not 10 years from now. But I'm coming also from a Catholic background. So I'm telling you, Remember who you are. We are San Francisco. We are the city of St. Francis of Assisi. St. Francis of Assisi wrote a poem. I'll read parts of it. Praise be you, my Lord, with all your creation, especially Sir Brother's son, who is the day and through whom you give us light and bears a likeness to you, Most High. Praised be you, my Lord, through Sister Moon and the stars. In heaven, you formed them clear and precious and beautiful. Praised be you, my Lord, through Brother Wind, through whom you give sustenance to your creatures. Praised be you, my Lord, through Sister Water, who is very useful and humble and precious and chaste. Praise be you, my Lord, through Brother Fire, through whom you light the night, and he is beautiful and playful and robust and strong. Praise be to you, my Lord, through Sister Moon, who sister Earth, Mother Earth, who sustains and governs us, who produces your fruit with various flowers and herbs. So remember who you are. You are San Francisco, we are San Francisco, the city of St. Francis, patron saint of animals, the environment, and ecology. So please include your environment in your plan. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Gallegos, for your comments. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon. Thank you for the opportunity to speak. My name is Susan Green. I'm a District 8 resident and a member of the Climate Emergency Coalition. As you know from the calls and emails you've been receiving, we've been calling for a climate bond on the ballot in 2024. 
In response, we've heard repeatedly that there's no room for it in the bond schedule and that the proposed plan addresses climate mitigation in the details. So last weekend, I read the entire plan to see what's in it. There are indeed a handful of projects that address our two biggest carbon emission reduction challenges, building and fleet electrification. These include a solar energy and battery project supporting multiple city departments, a strategic building electrification project to identify needs and fund small pilot programs, a project to replace natural gas equipment at the Academy of Sciences, another to transition the Muni bus fleet to 100% electric buses, and multiple EV charging infrastructure projects for police cars, Muni buses, and other city vehicles. These would be great. They could kickstart building decarbonization and position the city as a leader in vehicle electrification. But each one of them is an unfunded emerging project. They're included only to indicate awareness of so-called undefined future needs. There's next to nothing in this plan that clearly funds carbon emission reduction any time in the next 10 years. Awareness isn't enough. Until San Francisco achieves net zero emissions, we're adding to the growing damage caused by global warming, and we're increasing our climate adaptation costs down the road. Y'all have a great opportunity to change this. Given the scale and urgency of the problem, climate mitigation demands to be among the critical issues both addressed and funded in this capital plan. If a climate bond requires a temporary increase in the debt limit, as the CLE report recommends, y'all have the opportunity to champion this. Please don't approve a capital plan Thanks until so it includes comments. real funding Speaker's for time climate mitigation. Thank you. Thank you, Susan Green, for your comments. And I do apologize if I have to cut anybody off, but we are timing each speaker at two minutes today. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon. My name is Nancy Haber, and I live in District 7. And I'm here today to add my voice to the uh, to ask you to push for a climate mitigation bond on the ballot in 2024. We need to take bold and speedy action on climate mitigation that is reducing greenhouse gas emissions beyond the resilience and adaptation measures we are taking. We must plan and include climate mitigation measures as a part of every city concern as and goal as we have started to do with equity. Our climate emergency affects everything, including our ability to achieve adequate, healthy, and affordable housing, certainly our public health with air quality, clean transportation, a stronger economy and workforce, our, our outdoor environment, and so much more. You have that opportunity now as you consider the proposed 10-year capital plan before you. As proposed, the plan does not significantly or adequately fund mitigation efforts to reduce emissions or to equitably support all San Francisco residents in our urgent need to transition to a clean, all-electric city. I appreciate that the board unanimously approved the CLE report recommendations for geo bonds to fund significantly climate mitigation strategy, significant strategies, and I urge you all now, and I appreciate your comments today to that effect, to push harder for those climate mitigation measures in this plan and to vote no until we have a climate bond that 
um, until we have a climate bond schedule that, and a climate bond that San Franciscans can vote on in 2024. Thank you. Thanks so much, Nancy Avery, for your comments. Next speaker, please. Hi, my name is Elena Engel. I'm with the San Francisco Climate Emergency Coalition and 350 San Francisco. I'm a D9 resident. And I want to thank you, supervisors, for mentioning climate change, the forbidden name, climate change. And I'm very encouraged by this. And as Supervisor Ronan had suggested, linking up expected emissions reductions with specific measures would be more truthful and transparent. Just being climate adjacent or building nice new things or being resistant or resilient does not necessarily reduce emissions. Supervisors, you need to take bold action to make sure that the climate plan include, that the capital plan includes a climate-focused bond measure for 2024. Waiting for later doesn't do anything to solve our climate crisis. Saying we can't doesn't stop the damage which will continue and accelerate unless we take positive, specific actions to stop it. It is so difficult to imagine the sheer scale, the magnitude of what awaits us if we don't act. Severe water shortages, alternating with extreme floods, oh, those are happening already. Crop failures, food shortages, more health plans, more health problems caused by pests and vectors we haven't yet even seen, more pandemics, more damage to property, more damage to our economy and the stability of the city's finances, more instability, period, resource wars. Can you stop for a moment and instead of thinking, no, we can't. Thank you much, Elaine Angle, for your comments. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Corey Monteith, and I live in District 11. Uh, I want to thank uh, Supervisor Safai and Mandelman and Ronan for their comments about uh, climate during this meeting. Um, I'm here to ask you to push for a climate bond on the ballot in 2024. As you saw, the current proposed 10-year bond schedule only contains a bond to adapt to climate change, nothing that addresses halting climate change. We don't have 10 years to wait. We must take action now. Please vote no until a climate change mitigation bond is on the schedule. Thank you for your leadership on this issue. Thank you much, Court Monteith, for your comments. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, uh, Madam Chair, uh, President Peskin, Supervisors Walton, Safai, Mandelman, and Ronan. My name is Charlie Shamas. I'm here representing the Council of Community Housing Organizations. Um, Chuchu uh, represents many of the community-rooted organizations that are working hard to build community, to plan with community, to house community, and to partner with the city on developing new affordable housing and acquiring new affordable housing sites. <clears throat> The discussions around the capital plan are taking place in the context of a multifold increase in our arena affordable housing mandate and a substantial shortage of dedicated affordable housing funding. 
This is a moment where we need an accelerated time frame and significant new resources in order to, to achieve our mandates. It's great to see the affordable housing um, formally embedded in the capital plan and part of the bond rotation schedule. This is a sea change um, to consider affordable housing as public infrastructure. Building the resources to maintain our existing affordable housing as well as increase our share of affordable housing stock in the city is an investment in our public infrastructure. It's how we stabilize neighborhoods. It's how we house um, those that are most vulnerable and those that are experiencing displacement. It's how we house our workforce. It's how we keep the next generation here in the city. According to the capital plan, the estimated need to continue the city's level of effort on affordable housing is approximately $23.6 billion. This board passed a resolution last week unanimously um, really um, uh, recognizing the need to do due diligence around how to stage a local and a regional affordable housing bond. And I appreciate this conversation um, as an opportunity really to maximize our possibility of success in order to leverage um, the revenues um, in order to achieve our affordable housing mandates. 2031 is in the not so distant future, and this is our time to scale up strategies. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie Shamas, for your comments. And uh, before I start uh, the speaker's time, I am calling last call for in-person speakers here in the chamber. If you do wish to address this uh, committee and you're here with us, uh, I do suggest you line up now. Okay. Please begin. I'll start your time. Good afternoon. I'm Sarah Greenwald, and I live in District 2. I'm with 350 San Francisco. We need a climate bond in 2024. The plan does not put climate action funding on the ballot. There is a certain amount for seawalls and things to deal with the damage from not taking climate action, but virtually nothing to prevent us from making it worse. When this plan talks about climate, it's talking about projects it does not cover. It's talking about things it defers for 10 years. Let me say that again. When this plan talks about climate, it's talking about what it might put into the plan sometime. We need a climate plan climate bond in 2024 to bring clean power for clean air that will let us all breathe free, lifting the burden of premature deaths and diseases, especially in our most vulnerable communities. We need a climate bond in 2024 to make all of our streets and neighborhoods safe, walkable, and accessible with plenty of room for abundant good public transit for everybody and clean vehicles for the trips we need to make in a car. We need a climate bond in 2024 because a climate bond is a lot less expensive than failing to start the work. Thank you. Thanks so much, Sarah Greenwald, for your comments. And with that last uh, speaker in the chamber, uh, we currently have uh, eight listeners on the telephone and seven in the queue. If you haven't already done so, uh, dial star three to be added. Uh, with that, uh, Mr. Lamb, can you unmute your caller, please? Hello, do we have a caller? Uh, yes, let's come back to that one, Mr. Lamb. Thank you. Spoken CSFN speaking on my own behalf. I'm not in support of the CIP as currently drafted. The issue is enterprise departments where three out of four 
receive GEO bond funds, even though they are supposed to be self-funding. Since the port has a high credibility rating, I do support them receiving GEO bond funds for climate adaptation. However, much lower on the credibility scale is the MTA. The MTA has used GEO bond funds on the El Terravel and other controversial projects. Uh, governance reform should be implemented before any future MTA bonds. Even lower on the credibility scale than the MTA is the PUC. The PUC has used Easter bond funds to construct new cisterns on the west side, even though it takes two fire engines to use cistern water, and that cisterns don't automatically refill. The PUC is now proposing a drinking water emergency firefighting system with Lake Merced as its primary source, even though PUC management has acknowledged that Lake Merced is not drinking water. This would mean that when used, the city would have to issue a boil water alert. It would also require flushing out the drinking water pipes afterwards, which would take one and a half to two days. If the board were to reduce, uh, endorse geobond funds for the PUC, it could make the board complicit with the PUC's noncompliance of Prop 218. Thank you. Thank you much, Eileen Bogan, for your comments. Uh, Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. Great, David Pilpel again. Um, so I have made some comments on the capital plan at the capital planning uh, committee. In uh, summary, I think the capital plan is well-written and fairly balances um, the various uh, needs and uh, issues. It's a very carefully uh, worked through document. I support the plan as written. I support the resolution before you and the current version of the GEO bond schedule. I understand that this is a plan, so it doesn't necessarily lock the city into this um, sequence of bonds. Um, and clearly lifting the 3.25% uh, cap is a policy matter for the board, and it's got a number of different implications, uh, potentially pro and con. I did find a few minor typos in the plan, particularly in the acknowledgments uh, page. For some reason, um, MOHCD is listed as an outside uh, agency, and uh, last I checked, it was still a part of uh, the city and not um, like community college or unified um, listed as an external agency on that page. Um, for, and I will communicate um, those uh, minor typos to the staff. Um, for maximum flexibility, you could also duplicate the file today, send the plan as is to the full board uh, with or without recommendation, perhaps without, uh, and amend and continue the plan with the Peskin Amendment to this committee next week and see what transpires um, in the following uh, seven days. Uh, I don't have a strong sense of how best to juggle the affordable housing, climate, homelessness, public health, transportation, and other needs. Uh, they, uh, as was stated, the needs will always exceed the available uh, resources, so I leave that to your uh, wise uh, judgment. Those are my thoughts on the capital plan, and again, good work to staff on this. Thanks. Thank you much, David Bilbell, for your comments. Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. Uh, good afternoon, uh, supervisors and 
Super Director Strong and everyone, this is Joni Eisen, resident of District 10 and a member of the SF Climate Emergency Coalition. I am glad to hear the supervisors have serious, important questions before approving the proposed 10-year capital plan. Uh, I want to thank President Hess, Safai, Mandelman, and Ronan for recognizing and mentioning how dire the need is to address climate change by reducing emissions. As my colleague Sue Green stated, it's not at all obvious where in the capital plan this happens. That's why I strongly appreciate Supervisor Ronan's request for information about how exactly each proposed bond would affect greenhouse gas emissions so the public can know what they're voting for. I look forward to um, Supervisor Ronan's collaboration with Director Strong about this issue. I was also encouraged to hear mention of city departments, including SF Environment, working together. No more siloing, please. Right now, it looks like the projects in the capital plan that could make a real impact in reducing planet warming emissions are mostly labeled deferred or emerging with no funding. In other words, they may be pursued later. What kind of world will be around later thanks to our neglect now? This plan stretches over 10 years addressing sea level rise, other devastating effects of climate change, but not yet reducing the severity and frequency of such effects. These are 10 years during which it's crucial for all cities, states, and countries to step up to the challenge boldly and quickly. Please, supervisors, continue to ask questions about climate action in the bonds. Insist on answers. We've heard about budget restraints, but future expenses will be so much worse if we go on clicking, kicking climate down the road. Please be bold and consider raising the property tax limit for climate action. Voters do care. Thank you. Thank you, Joni Eisen, for your comments. Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. Uh, good afternoon, supervisors. Uh, my name is Paul Wormer, another District 2 resident. Uh, I will uh, simply reference the comments from other members of uh, the Climate Emergency Coalition about the need for funding, the urgency. And I'd like to pick up on the comment of silos that uh, was made by a previous speaker. One of my concerns is having had many discussions with city, um, city people, both uh, in uh, elected offices and in departments, um, I fear that we are treating climate action as largely this agency is doing that and that agency is doing this and they are independent operations. But when we are talking about climate change, we really are talking about dealing with the way we get and use energy in the city to do massive number of things, uh, from transportation to providing food to heating and cooling. Um, and actions by one department or one agency, such as SFPUC or private entity like PG&E, definitely will impact what other, what other entities are doing. For example, building or improving housing and the need to upgrade electrical systems. It's not clear to me in the capital planning that people are looking at how these systems linked issues will be dealt with. And it is not clear to me that anywhere in this plan people have looked at, for example, the types of issues that SB 257, I believe it is, uh, David Min is, is introducing about how do we prune gas lines and how do we build thermal energy networks? 
which can dramatically improve energy efficiency, which is a very significant thing, even for San Francisco, because our energy costs will be driven by the peak winter demand. Again, I do apologize for cutting anybody off, but uh, yeah, we are timing each speaker at two minutes. But thank you for your comments, Paul Warmer. Uh, Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. So supervisors, if y'all do not listen to public comment without having a sidebar talk, then you are insulting the public. On the climate change, the language is very general in nature. So I just want to remind you that this land is indigenous land that was stolen and polluted and contaminated. And this is your opportunity. You, those who stole the land, polluted the land, and contaminated the land to at least address the issues of climate change. Thank you very much. Thank you much, Francisco DeCosta, for your comments. Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. Hello, I'm Lawrence Baskett, a District 8 resident, calling on behalf of Indivisible San Francisco in support of the Climate Emergency Coalition. Uh, while the city's efforts to date are laudable, as you've heard, per the, per the UC Berkeley CLEA report, a full transition to a sustainable city costs on the order of $20 billion, or about $2,500 per capita. We need to see a real urgency from our supervisors and from the whole city, which means a major multi-billion dollar measure in 2024. Uh, anything less is unfortunately still tantamount to climate denial with all the consequences for life on earth that every month of delay entails and regardless of other cities worst denial so please don't pass a capital expenditure plan without a major climate bond thank you thank you so much for your comments um mr lamb if uh, can you confirm if we have any more callers uh, madam clerk that does oh sorry madam chair that does conclude our queue Okay, seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. Um, colleagues, I think that um, just to keep, <laughs> so that we can continue to have quorum and finish today's meeting, looks like we have, a, we have time to review President Peskin's uh, amendments. And let's go for Supervisor Safai. Thank you. I, I'd like to make a motion to uh, move that amendment so that we're switching the, the order. Sounds Do I have good. to read into record, uh, Madam City Attorney? I think, I think it has Pesco been read into the record Okay, good. Already. I just wanted to make sure. Okay. okay. Well, I have a second? <laughs> second by Supervisor Ronan. Um, with that, um, Mr. Clerk, let's uh, call a roll on the motion to amend. Um, basically, is switching out the schedule for um, affordable housing and shelter bond to March 2024 and public health and shelter bond uh, on November 2024. Uh, with that motion made by Supervisor Safai, second by Supervisor Ronan, let's have a roll call, please. On oh, that motion by Member Safai, seconded by Member Ronan to amend. Uh, the resolution as uh, stated, as just stated. Um, Vice Chair Mandelman, Mandelman absent. Member Safai, Safai, aye. Member Ronan, Ronan, aye. Member Walton, Walton, aye. Chair Chan, aye. Chan, aye. We have four ayes with Vice Chair Mandelman absent.
Thank you, and the motion passes. And with that, uh, let's, is there a motion to move this to full board? Oh, we have to continue. So I'll make the motion to continue for a week. Um, I need a second. Second by Supervisor Safai, and let's call the roll to continue. On that motion to continue this resolution to the April 26th meeting of this committee uh, as amended. Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman absent. Member Safai. Safai, aye. Member Ronan. Ronan, aye. Member Walton. Walton, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have four ayes with the Vice Chair Mandelman absent. Thank you, and the motion passes. And uh, Mr. Clerk, do we have any other items before us today? Uh, Madam Chair, that concludes our business. Thank you. The meeting is adjourned.